You're listening to Leadership in Crisis. COVID-19 pandemic has caused life sciences organization to adjust to supply chain and clinical development disruptions and financial challenges that would have previously been unthinkable. There are many questions on the table like how to deliver products and innovate discoveries to patients. Are we stopping the clinical trials of other therapeutics, etc.? So there are many questions are pondering. This is your host, Swami Sri Parambadur, and you are listening to Leadership in Crisis. And we have invited a special guest and life sciences industry veteran, Ms. Jean Taylor Hecht. And that's why we want to talk about today's life sciences industry in COVID crisis and after the vaccines, how we are going to get onto. So before that, I want to give a brief introduction about Jean. Jean Taylor Hack is a global business executive and board member with deep experience leading successful teams across mature and emerging markets within the product development, pharma services, and life sciences space. As CEO of JTH Consulting, Jean commands broad knowledge and deep expertise in the life sciences arena. She has dedicated much of her career to guiding international companies through healthy growth, thoughtfully, strategically, and with unyielding integrity. Jean has been expanding her life sciences consulting practice, supporting companies with sales, marketing, and market growth strategies, annual plan development, as well as advisory and board work. Her experience spans the medical imaging research site, emerging biotechnology, early stage AI and technology business landscape and life sciences service market. In this capacity, Jean serves as a strategic advisor to PE companies, small and emerging companies and their business leaders, as well as venture capitalists. Jean is also an active advisory board member for Wake Forest University, as well as the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Keenan Flaggers Business School, Business of Health Council and lecturer at the business school. Jean also volunteers with senior pharmacist a non-profit group that provides medication access and medication therapy management to seniors in North Carolina. She further volunteers with Kids Play, a non-profit group building playgrounds for children with disabilities in Southern Virginia and with Ronald McDonald House. She holds a Bachelor of Science from the University of Michigan and a Master of Business Administration from that university's Ross School of Business. She earned a certificate of project management from the Project Management Institute. And of course, one hidden thing is she's also a great technical scuba diver. So anybody requires any instructions on scuba, you know, you can contact Jean. So Jean, welcome to Leadership in Crisis. Thank you so much. I appreciate the introduction and the opportunity to be here. Thank you, Jean. I know we have been, you know, trying to talk to each other in this life science industry. And this COVID has given me a perfect time because we are all glued to the uh, our homes and then we have opportunity to talk. So to begin with, I would like to know, you know, what made you to enter into this life sciences industry? What fascinated you? Can you give a little background? Yeah, so when I actually first came out of school or while I was going to school, I was at the University of Michigan. I worked at, um, I worked there at the Mott's Children's Hospital Pharmacy and I was a pharmacy technician. And then eventually I went into the ambulatory care center. And before that in high school, I worked at my friend's 
family's pharmacy. And so I was always um, exposed to the life of the pharmacist and then I became a pharmacy technician. So when I got out of school, actually, I didn't study to go into the life science industry. I actually studied water chemistry and limnology specifically, thought I was gonna go save the world. And I ended up moving across the country to Hawaii and I lived in Hawaii. And while I was there, I decided instead to work at a private school that focused on special needs children. And I taught science and math to kids with learning disabilities. And I did that for a couple of years and I honed some wonderful skills, met some amazing people. Um, and really enjoyed um, the opportunity before me. But, and then I moved back to the mainland, um, back to Michigan, and decided at that time that as much as I loved teaching and I loved working with the special needs kids, I decided I wanted to go back into the life sciences industry. And I took a job working for a pharmaceutical company in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And that has then, um, you know, led my career to come from there into life sciences and pharmaceutical services. I think that I was always drawn to the field of medicine because in my family, you were either a teacher or you were a nurse or a doctor. It was one of those three. And as a result, I spent a lot of my time in, at the kitchen dinner table, either listening to issues and problems with children in school or issues with patients who were receiving care. And I, so as a result, I think I was always from a young age on through my work experiences, really intrigued with uh, the healthcare industry. And that I, is what brought me here. But that's good to hear, you know, you have been always the family of giving back, you know, one or the other way, you know, you are working with the children and transforming to the good citizens. And that's why I think now I remember, I realize why you are volunteering for the children because you have that passion and you have started with the children. And uh, working with the disabilities, children is not an easy task. It has to have a lot of compassion on the patient. And I'm glad you are having that. And then I see you coming into this life sciences industry, which becomes now very organic growth for you because you are habituated from the engage. So that uh, brings me an interesting question. As we all are you know, hit with COVID, I know now we have the vaccine and all, but as a strategic leader, how do you see the impact of COVID to this life sciences industry? Now the vaccine is there, how it is transforming? Any, any thoughts you can share? Yeah, I think last year when COVID was before us, I think a lot of us hit the pause button and we were very uncertain as to how this was gonna play out. And many of us were having discussions at board levels about, you know, what were revised forecasts? Were there, how was this gonna impact the customers we serve, the patients we serve and our employee workforce? And, you know, I really feel like COVID is kind of a tale of two stories. And so one story was focused on this pause, the concern, the trepidation that that led to. And perhaps for some businesses, some strategies and tactics they had to implement so that they remain stable and healthy as we move beyond COVID. Then there were other businesses that this was the platform they were waiting for. The pharmaceutical and life science industry is can be considered archaic in its process for change or slow to change, or an industry made up of first followers instead of first movers. And as a, as a result, I feel like the COVID and the experience that we had before us created a platform for many technology companies, patient engagement companies, 
different types of services-based organizations that for a long time weren't able to break through into the bureaucracy that sometimes plagues this industry. And they were able to now have an opportunity to plant their flags and grow. And I, when I also look at it is I look at it from a patient care side and the expectations for patient care, I think really changed, right? We started to see that telemedicine, telehealth, which had been around for a long time, actually had a role here in clinical trials. We started to see that patients wanted more convenience-based care. So they wanted endpoints to come to their home. And we've seen companies create um, new technologies to measure endpoints in clinical trials at a patient's home. And, you know, I feel like it really gave us an opportunity to help this industry evolve. So I kind of see it as a tale of two stories, but at the end of it, I think the story that won out was the story of innovation and evolution. I think uh, that's a great insights you gave. And in fact, as we have seen, people are not always ready for the change, but when there is a pressure, they are forced to do the change. And this COVID, the positive side is it gave everybody the pressure. If you want to succeed in love, you have to adopt the change. If you're not changing, things are change, different. And also it gives this um, patient, uh, the care is completely a self portal now. The experience is different. So everybody has to do. And you, th- you know, you talked about the innovation piece. So I want to know, because even in your bio, you are saying, you know, you have dealt with some of the technological companies with AI and all. So how is the innovation piece coming in? What are the different innovations you have seen in the LS life sciences industry? And how can we really see what is the growth you are thinking? Maybe next five years, next 10 years, anything you can have a roadmap, what do you have experience and how it is going to be? Well, you know, we've all been talking about AI and machine learning for a number of years, right? And it's been a hot topic and rightfully so. I mean, our ability to analyze um, and to be more predictive in using data to help us drive and make better decisions is super important. And so I I do believe that um, in absence of actually being able to engage directly with a patient, people were able to use data and use data more smartly for predictive analytics. We also, as I mentioned earlier, telehealth. I mean, there were a number of companies that were knocking on doors of companies regarding trying to find ways to get telehealth platforms or e-informed consent or patient reported outcome technology into the hands of the patient for years. And there was the one or two studies that would happen, but it wasn't that they weren't necessarily being as um, adopted as fast as they should have been. Um, And so the pandemic has allowed for that to happen. I also see that there are a number of companies that I'm speaking with on the patient convenience care side. And those are patient, those are companies that are bringing, you know, specifically endpoints directly to a patient. So instead of a patient having to go to a research site to have their scan, to ha- to have a specific test done, to have blood drawn for out, you know, for a, for an outcomes measure on a clinical trial or for a safety measure in a clinical trial this technology is or service is going directly to the patient's door or to their driveway or to the walmart nearby them so that it's easier for them to go and receive that kind of care so when i think about how you know where else are we evolving 
I look at that and, and patient endpoints is a tricky subject. And it's one where we need the agencies um, that govern our approvals of our new products worldwide to weigh in. And specifically, I know the FDA has been having a lot of discussions around this about, can I take an endpoint that's usually done in a physician's practice and now do it at a patient's setting without a perhaps a medically trained professional or maybe with a medically trained professional and will I get those same results? So our ability to have that type of analysis, assessment, and focus on the by the pharmaceutical industry, the CROs and the tech companies out there and the other service providers is something that will continue to drive a better experience for the patient and, it, and has come out of this pandemic faster than what we would have anticipated should that not have been around. Yeah, that's true. I think you've touched on a very nice points on, you know, the whole thing about the patient engagement, because I'm also in the life sciences industry and pre-COVID, we were all trying to give a solution, technological solutions and the best experience what we can offer to the patient. And also the patients also has a different persona. So it could be an engage or it could be senior citizens. And when you are talking about all these technologies, when you are talking about Gen Z's or Gen Y, they may be more you know, prone to this uh, technology adoption and then they can easily come back. But when you are talking about the senior citizen, it may be difficult. So what kind of portal she can do? And one of the things we were talking is, how can I combine when I am registering for the clinical trials, probably I also have a button, okay, a ride share or maybe a Uber. So people can just go and do. But now with the COVID, people are staying home. So the one what you touched is fantastic, right? You know, it is like a mobile van. So the people have to go. It's like, you know, calling 911 you can call anybody so the van will come to your place your home and probably they will ask the patients to come into the bus or the place where they can do so it's a great idea so that uh, is also an interesting question for me because you are coming from the technology background you are coming from the teaching background you are more into the life sciences but then i see a, another side of you is a ceo of a company you know, taking many companies into uh, globally. So how do you help business expand quickly at a global scale? How did you transform this uh, technologies and the life sciences industry specialist to a pure forefront leader? Yeah, I, I find it to be amazing to me, the number of people um, who, a number of companies that have an opportunity to grow globally and are either scared to do so. And I really believe in if the challenge um, we face doesn't scare us, then it's probably not that important, right? And with that, I think that there's a lot of companies that are um, interested in growth, but they don't, they don't have proper planning. And so I feel that something that's very, very crystal clear for me is our ability to set metrics and metrics lead up to quarterly goals and quarterly goals lead up to corporate goals. And when I think about um, what's really helped companies scale um, globally is a robust business plan with very clearly defined uh, goals and within that business plan, a a deep dive into what does the market really need and what are the nuances of the market? What are the nuances of the product? How are the buyers different? And I feel like a lot of times um, 
when we don't do that homework, we try to apply, apply a similar approach to everyone or to all companies or to all products or to all markets. And I learned that when I moved to Singapore back in 2010 and spent a couple of years living over there and setting up a sales and strategic planning team, what I learned very clearly was that you needed to be in market to truly understand the buyers, the process, and what plans and tactics would work, be them big or small. So when I think about um, supporting customers on a new market entry or a new um, a new product or global expansion, you know, I think about the need to have very clearly defined goals, very clearly defined plans, and all of that is based upon in insights and intelligence. Uh, generated from a thorough, thorough, deep dive into um, our customers and um, all competitors and all the other areas in Porter's Five Forces and SWOT analysis, right? Yep. So I think in a nutshell, you should have a genes framework. Yes. <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> no, that's true because, you know, mostly people have to understand how the transformations are happening because the traditional lead generation or traditional global market steps will not work because now you need to understand the persona because either it is a product and who is the buyer, the buyer's persona, the age group or the diversity or the location, geography, there are many different things are there. On top of it, you need to have account-based marketing, you know, if this is the persona because you cannot absolutely uh, target all audience, right? So you need to really know your audience, you know, persona. So I think, uh, thank you for sharing that insight. And one of the things that I think people often forget is that all buyers don't act the same. So some people are analytical and they want a lot of data. And some people are more relationship-based and they want the relationship sell. And so therefore they want you to call them up and talk to them about it. And But others don't want you to talk to them at all. They want you to send them every information and they want to make the decision. So I, I do think there's a lot of hard work that has to go into also the nuances of the buyer as well. No, I think you touched a great point because uh... With this, so much data is the most powerful element in the entire industry world, right? Everybody, even for the vaccines or the COVID cases, everybody is looking for the data. Okay, how many cases happened? The data is the main powerful element. And what you said is absolutely right because before personas are the our uh, buyers making a decision they're already doing much more homework they're oh, already yeah. looking at all the market analysis they're already doing all about the product homework as as well as the leadership homework as well as the company homework okay who is really leading that company what is the company size so uh, that's very true and but there is always an element of the relationship right so you need to really know you are buyer and then you have to play the game accordingly because most of it is already there you know we are always available on the net internet is so much now available if i just type on google everything is available yep agree i couldn't agree more yeah so in the same thing if you want to uh, highlight uh, any three four key success factors you want to highlight specific to life sciences industry what one should be focusing on this as the um, you know success factors or element for the upcoming um, leaders or the current CXO leaders because we are having global listeners so I just want to share your thoughts on the success factors so there could be some takeaways. Yeah I learned from a boss several um, a while ago that you get what you organize you get what you measure and you get what you incentivize. 
So if I had any good advice for folks, and I think about the life sciences industry, and I think about other C-level um, or not even C-level, doesn't make a difference, you know, leaders within organizations, if your team doesn't understand the their role or their remit, and they don't understand why their departments or functions are, are organized the way they are, if they do not have a clear understanding and transparency of how their uh, success is going to be evaluated, and they don't know as a result how they're going to be compensated, then you're going to have a level of chaos and dysfunction at your fingertips. When I look at the life sciences industry as a whole, and I'll extrapolate it to that, that there are a lot of metrics out there that talk about patient engagement and how many studies fail to recruit their metrics and on time and the extra cost and burden that leads to, or the fact that clinical trials have had challenges with it getting diversity in their patient populations. And so I say, if we want to recruit more patients or more diverse patients, we need to organize around that. We need to focus our measurements and our reward systems around patient engagement and enrollment criteria around clinical trials. Instead, a lot of times people that doesn't connect, those dots do not connect for a, for a person. So as a result, they could be thinking they're doing great and their company could not be. And because there's complete misalignment in those measurements and, um, and therefore there's misalignment in their operations. Excellent. So on the same lines, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. So when you are doing at the global level and when you are doing these measures and uh, some of the studies, people have to take these metrics. Of course, I'm talking about a little bit pre-COVID time where people are, you know, having a study center, all the people you are recruiting, all the patients are coming there. But sometimes you don't have the technology. So how critical is the component of the technology from your experiences so that the data is immediately available? Because I see some of the developing countries in some of the remote areas, there may not be internet available. So what are the challenges? You Have you faced any of those or anything you can think of? Yeah, I think that um, technology access and technology adoption in clinical trials continues to at times be a challenge because we've put so much stress on our clinical research sites. And as an industry, we all use uh, different technology platforms. We all, um, you know, different companies use different technology platforms. And so our clinical research sites have to know how to use many different data um, systems, many different lab systems, many different patient recruitment systems. And as a result, that's put a lot of stress on our research sites. However, I think that our, our site, our research sites have, are nimble and agile at times and are able to adjust to that. I think if I was going to have an ask for the industry is to think with the lens on the convenience for our research sites, the convenience for our patients, and the awareness that just because you sit in North Carolina or New Jersey doesn't mean all your patients are going to be. And so as a result, they might not have the same bandwidth capabilities that you do from a broadband or from an internet. They might not have the ability to, based on their working hours um, or their home environment, to be able to actually um, 
address the protocol expectations in as quick of a time as you want them to. So when you're designing these protocols to actually do some voice of the customer and engage patients and engage you know, patient advocacy groups and engage the research sites in designing these trials. And then that can also be underpinned by data and analytics as well. Very true, very true. So thank you for that point. So as you all know that innovation is the key element and most of the innovation may occur uh, from a startup companies, right? You know, a lot of these executives, they have so much experience and then they want to come out and then they want to say, you know, because there could be a bureaucracy, there could be a red tape or there could be a, many other reasons they want to have an entrepreneurship uh, uh, life after a certain time. So what is that you have seen and what is your advice to these uh, uh, startups in this particular space? Any Anything you can share some light on it? Yeah, I would say focus. You know, when I when I talk with different startup CEOs, the conversations that I often have are either they're getting advice from the wrong advisors, okay, or they're not using enough advisors, and so they're getting very targeted advice um, based upon a playbook that already exists. Um, and and I don't mean I don't want that to sound disparaging. My my comment to the um, CEOs and others entrepreneurs are, you know, cast a wide net, talk to many people in different industries, see how different industries address the challenges of adoption, see how different industries address the challenges of interconnectivity or lack thereof, and bring those insights into your planning process so that you don't. So that you don't look very in a with a very narrow lens on the problems that could sit before you. I also think that a lot of entrepreneurs spend a lot of time in their early days once they've done that initial due diligence and executing on their business plan. And during that execution, they lose sight of the customer. So the more that they can actually, maybe it's a monthly basis, maybe it's every other week but they need to do the hard work and to plan out these customer engagements. And again, it should be new customers, new insights, people to broaden their network. Um, So that's what I would suggest to them that I I feel like it's um, the ability to continue to source the market for insights about their offering, their service, their technology product is going to be really important so that they can iterate and prove that by being, you know, this entrepreneurial startup that they can be agile and really listen to the market. Yeah, I think uh, uh, it's uh, right on that listening to the market is important. We need to focus on the solution. But sometimes what I've seen is the startup companies want to push the product rather than understanding the customer needs, whether this product is a good fit, because yes, you are there to make money, you are there to do, but your primary phase is to solve the business problem. And are you able to solve the business problem? For that, you need a customer, and then you need to have a a regular cadence in uh, talking to the customer and a regular intervals and taking the feedback. That means you need to have some of the customers believe in you, trust in you, and you rightly said, you cannot have um, only a few people you need to have a wider network because you need to do a bigger sampling and then you need to sometimes even though you are working in the life science industry maybe if you have a supply chain how others in the other industries are solving the supply chain problem 
it may not be industry different but you may have to learn something from there and then maybe you can adopt so you have to disrupt the uh, innovation how you are doing what you are doing with a primary focus on solving the business problem whatever you are aiming for because sometimes people want to start something and then they end up something so thank you for that uh, advice so i think it was uh, any other comments you have no i think you're right. i think you're spot on in everything that you say and how you summarized it um i i see it as an achilles heel for many is a uh, too narrow of a focus too narrow of advice and only a couple customers being part of their business planning iteration and design process it's a fantastic so i think almost you being a scuba driver you took me to a ocean deep and i came back with a, a circle of how your journey and then how nicely you have put some key elements which uh, will be helpful to all my global listeners in uh, life sciences industry thank you so much for giving the your thoughts and the some of the tips for the startups and the cxos to pick it up so thank you for your wonderful time gene and then we will be again connecting with you later on thank you so much for joining with me That sounds great. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here.